Jeremiah 18, and I want to look together this morning uh, at verses 1 through 6. And as we do, would you stand with me out of respect for the Word of God as I read our portion of Scripture this morning? It says in verse 1, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel he made in the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And Father, we ask this morning that our hearts would be soft and, Lord, in some ways like moldable clay, that you would be able to write your will on the fleshly tablet of each of our hearts. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know your will. We believe your word is the way whereby you speak to us most directly and clearly, your Spirit-inspired Word. May your Holy Spirit now take it and speak it directly to our heart. May your Spirit teach us, instruct us, and speak to us, Lord. And we ask these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Do you ever wish you had more clarity, perhaps, on the following thought? What is God doing? What is God doing? Or perhaps maybe even more specifically, you might say sometimes, what is God doing in my life? Well, the passage this morning, I think, honestly gives us some answers for that very question. The background of Jeremiah's writing here as we look at this text is God has been speaking to Jeremiah about the things that he is about to do in the lives of his people the nation of Israel, the people of Judah. And Israel was about to experience the corrective discipline from God. The reason, because of a few things, first of all, that they had ignored for 490 years the Sabbath year. Every seven years they were to give the land a rest as God commanded them to, and they had greedily ignored that and worked the land even in that seven year for the past 490 years. They had also fallen into great idolatry at this time as a nation where they were worshiping all kinds of false gods and they had turned away from God and become quite evil in the morality of their ways. And in essence, because of that, they had marred their original image and God's intention and purpose for their lives as a people. They had become marred and somewhat stained and ruined in the hands of God. And therefore, God was now about to powerfully step in among his people and begin to deal with them. And Jeremiah, being one of God's main voices in that day, a prophetic voice among the people in his nation, God was therefore telling Jeremiah how he was going to raise up the Babylonians and how this nation of Babylon was in a sense going to be God's uh, chastening rod. That God was going to use that foreign nation to actually being corrective discipline severely upon his own people. And that method at first, as Jeremiah was hearing this, seemed somewhat not only strange, but almost hard for him to swallow. It seemed somewhat severe and even kind of peculiar. God, why would you use them 
as a pagan people, as, as a wicked people? Why would you use them to, to work like this to judge us? And Jeremiah even himself was beginning to somewhat question the ways and the purposes of God and dealing with his people. And it's at that point, therefore, that God now tells Jeremiah to take this journey down to this place called the potter's house where God might reveal to Jeremiah his perspective and allow him to see things from God's vantage point. And God now instructs Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house so that he might have better perspective as to why and to what indeed God was doing. And this morning, as we look at this text together, my hope is that you might be able to leave here with better insight for your life for our season and stage of life, the place where we're at in our lives today, that we would have God's perspective on what in the world perhaps maybe he is doing, what he is accomplishing, and accept, therefore, more easily maybe that continuing work of God in your life for the way in which he is working for his own glory and good purpose, shaping our lives so much so that you might be able to more willingly sing that old song, the lyrics were this, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and shape me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded, and still. Would you look with me back in the first verse as we begin to see this event unfold? Jeremiah tells us here, the word which came to him, Jeremiah, from the Lord saying, verse 2, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And he says, there I will cause you to hear my word. So our passage opens informing us that the Lord wanted to speak to Jeremiah, something personal. And you know what? God hasn't changed. God wants to speak to you this morning. God has a personal word for you, a word in season that he wants to say to you for where you're at at your life. First of all, take note of me as we look at verses 1 and 2. I find it interesting when Jeremiah hears personally from the Lord. Take notice, as I said, when does this happen? Well, it's at a time when things are not the best circumstantially. Nationally, the nation around Jeremiah was deteriorating. It was falling apart at the seams. People were rebelling against God to greater and greater degrees. For Jeremiah, this was also not an easy time for him personally. It was a stage in his life where he was wrestling within himself, concerned about issues and, and somewhat confused as to what God was doing and why things were happening the way they were, even discouragement of why it seemed he did so much for God and so little came out of it. So it's a time that circumstantially is difficult around Jeremiah. It's a time that's hard in his life personally. And it's at this point in his life amidst the problems and dealing with pain and being perplexed and challenged with some different things going on that he receives at that point a very personal word from the Lord for his life where he hears the voice of God in a real special and direct and personal way. And how often is it not true when life circumstances are perplexing and it's in the hard moments of our lives maybe the more difficult seasons of our circumstances and life that those a lot of times cause us to it seems to be just somewhat more alert and attentive to hear the voice of God sometimes in a lot more clear way and I found in my own life that sometimes it's the hardest hours the most difficult times that those are the occasions when a real personal word from God comes into my life and the Lord says something in a real direct 
in a personal way that's refreshing and powerful where I know I've truly heard something from him. Secondly, not only know when he heard, but notice also we're going to see as we look at our text where Jeremiah is going to hear from the Lord. Where at? Well, verse 2 told us. Notice the text there. God told him, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. Typically, it would be on the outskirts of the cities where potter fields usually were. Go down to the potter's house. And it says, there I will cause you to hear my word. So God's going to take Jeremiah and you and I this morning on a visual tour of the potter's house. And it's through observing quietly the daily events of this craftsman that God says, Jeremiah, there at the potter's house, as you just observe him working there, I will cause you to hear my words. As he quietly observed, God was going to speak insights to him. As he observed, God was going to give him greater understanding of the ways of God and what God was doing, revealing things to Jeremiah. And I have to say, isn't it pretty awesome that God can speak to us through so many different ways? Certainly, I think the word of God is the safest, clearest, fundamental way that God speaks to us above all else. But remember, Jesus himself, when he was on the earth, would say things like, consider the birds of the air. Notice how they don't sow or reap or worry or store away in barns, and yet your father takes care of them and, and feeds them. And are you not more valuable than the birds? again, consider the lilies of the field, Jesus would say. He'd say, consider the fig tree. And so Jesus at times would call attention to nature, to creation, to things happening in everyday life. And he'd say, observe these things. There, there are lessons that as you look at God's creation, the creator God can speak to you things. And at times you can hear his voice testifying of things. We just recently came back from a vacation where we were visiting my in-laws in, in California. And my father-in-law has a, a bunch of fruit trees and he's quite a, a gardener in his front lawn area there. He has all kinds of uh, citrus and fruit trees and vegetables in his front yard. And oftentimes in the morning for breakfast and even throughout the day, he would go out there and actually pick fruits and vegetables right out of his front yard there. And he would use those things and we would take those things and actually use them for our meal uh, that morning for breakfast or, or that day when we were having lunch or dinner together. And as I watched this process of him going out and plucking the fruit from the tree and bringing it in and then us partaking of it for breakfast, the Lord somewhat was speaking to my heart in a sense saying, this is why I desire the fruit of my spirit to be produced in your life so that others can partake of it and be benefited by it. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because Galatians 5 tells us this. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And just like there, in a literal sense, those fruit trees don't bear fruit for themselves. The trees that he was pulling fruit off, he wasn't pulling fruit off the tree and then feeding it back to the tree. He was partaking of that fruit and it was benefiting us. So that tree was producing fruit, but not for itself. It was producing its fruit so that others could partake of the fruit and be benefited by its pleasantness and the things that it provided. And as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit as Christians, a lot of times we think of the fruit of the Spirit as something for our own experience. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Yeah, I need more love in my life. I want to be more, I, I need to have more patience. I want more joy in my life. And in one sense, yes, I understand. I want to be more joyful. 
I want to have more peace in my life. But I tend to think that the primary purpose of the fruit of God's spirit being produced in your life and produced in my life isn't for you. It's for your spouse that has to live with you. <laughs> it's for your children. It's for your parents. It's for your co-workers. It's for other people in the body of Christ that we would have gentleness and kindness and self-control. Because guess what? Who doesn't like being around a person that's a little more loving? That actually exercises self-control. That is a person who is patient and kind. That fruit of God's spirit is being produced in our life, not just for us, but primarily for the benefit of others that have to live with us. That we interact with, that we can demonstrate and express to them God's love and the peace of God and patience and kindness. And, and that we can be more faithful people and they benefit from that. And again, how beautiful that we can learn lessons as we just look around us and are observant. And I want to encourage you to always keep your eyes and your ears open like Jeremiah at the potter's house. Keep your eyes and ears open everywhere God has you and everywhere that God sends you. Can God speak to you in your workplace, which maybe even you loathe having to go every day, eight, ten hours a day, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, 60. Can God speak to you through your workplace? You better bet he can. You better believe he can. Jeremiah learned at a pottery factory. God can speak to you in your workplace. Can God speak to you through the life of another person? Well, Jeremiah heard as he quietly observed a potter, as he watched someone else. I a lot of times enjoy just kind of quietly observing other people because sometimes I take the correspondence course on what people do. I let them live out the lessons and I, mm, yeah, that's one. I, I don't think I want to do that one. And, and we can learn by looking at the lives of others. We can learn by many times, you know, my children in some ways have been the greatest theologians instructing me in my life as a Christian. In some ways, I have learned more about God from my kids than I have in hours and hours of Bible study by just watching and observing. And we can learn by so many things. It's interesting that the Bible says God can speak to us at various times and in various ways. And take note, particularly in verse 2 here, where does God tell Jeremiah to go to hear for his words that day? He tells him to go to the potter's house. And he says, there at the potter's house, I will cause you to hear my words now we know from scripture there are many different metaphors the bible uses to describe god as a father as a shepherd but one of the metaphors the bible uses for god is a potter it tells us in isaiah 64 verse 8 but now O lord you are our father we are the clay you are our potter and all we are the work of your hand. So as the metaphor of God as a potter is true, how interesting, considering God as our potter, that Jeremiah would hear God's word as he went where? To the potter's house. To the potter's house, to God's house. And I find this somewhat of a spiritual principle. The place where the Lord will often cause me and often cause you to hear his word is oftentimes at the potter's house. The place where we hear God's instruction for our lives, the place where we receive God's correction at times for our lives as Christians, the place where we get God's counsel or maybe confirmation about something we're praying or thinking through oftentimes is found at God's house, at the potter's house, 
where he is speaking to people and where he is shaping lives by the work of his spirit taking place among the people of God. As a pastor, I can tell you this. After a number of years in pastoral ministry here as well as in Pennsylvania and other places, I see a very interesting correlation over the number of years, uh, a very interesting correlation of the people oftentimes who need the least counsel, who are the most stable spiritual people, who are the most useful vessels for God and are walking fruitfully, typically those are the individuals I find by observation that are those who regularly do what Jeremiah is doing here. They keep showing up at the potter's house. And at the potter's house, God continues to shape them. God continues to mold them. And they keep hearing God's words. And so they don't, a lot of times, need very much counsel. I'm not saying we don't all need it once in a while, but they're getting group counsel two to three times a week by being in the worship and gathering of God's people. And at the potter's house, they're getting the direction and the word from God that they often need for their lives. Just very interesting where Jeremiah hears. Now, as Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house, three things would quickly grab his attention. Three things he would take note of. First of all, the potter. Second of all, the wheel the potter was working on. And third of all, the clay. As Jeremiah went to the potter's house, the very obvious thing he'd see was a potter. That is an intelligent, skilled, creative, capable workman who was there shaping and molding his clay. And of course, the potter is a picture of God. The second thing he would see was the wheel, which would be a round, flat stone powered by a foot pedal down below. And the wheel, if you would, was the place where all the work was being done. So the wheel, in a sense, becomes a picture of the circumstances of our lives, the place where God the potter uses as a platform or instrument to shape us and to mold us into the thing that he's trying to accomplish in our lives. And then thirdly, he would not just see the potter and the wheel, but of course he would then see on the wheel the clay itself that the potter was working on. And clay really is really nothing more than just sticky dirt. It's just a common worthless substance it's the stuff that defiles our clothes and stains our carpets and but yet you take this substance that is somewhat worthless and very common and you put it in the hands of a master potter and all of a sudden this worthless rather common substance in the hands of a master potter can be made into something incredible something can have tremendous value that can be very beautiful, a very useful vessel. And clay in our passage here represents with the potter, that clay represents two things. Initially, contextually, historically, it represented the nation of Israel and Jeremiah's concerns as God was working among them. They were once a people as God's people that were moldable and yielded to God. Yet they had stiffened their necks. They had rebelled and turned away from God And because of that, they became marred in the hands of God. They had ruined themselves morally and defiled themselves spiritually and and they had become ruined. And therefore, God as their master was not wanting to cast them aside altogether, but God did need to intervene and begin to work in their lives. He wanted to reshape them and what he saw was best for them. But the clay there also 
has a broader application and that is for all believers in essence because the Bible tells us metaphorically that God is our potter and we see this illustration of the potter and the clay with God and his people all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. In fact, from as early as Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says the Lord God forms man, what? Out of the dust, the dirt of the ground and then breathed into the nostrils of humanity the breath of life. In a sense, if you were to evaluate the human body, quite literally, our bodies are made up basically of the same 17 elements that are in the dirt outside. Really just in a different molecular structure and God simply fashioned by his design what he's created in our human bodies. And having said that, can I say, I'm quite impressed what God can make with some sticky dirt. It's pretty phenomenal. Listen, I remember the first time I saw my wife and I thought, wowza, God is a craftsman. Incredible. Look what God can make. Look at the beauty. Think of our human bodies, the intricacies of the physical human body. That's nothing more than just sticky dirt that God composed. You know, the trillion cells that are in our body, the, the functions of our organs, the complexity of the human eye. Phenomenal. This body's ability to repair itself when it's damaged. And not to mention, please keep in mind, this is the disposable part of us. If you would, this is just a Pepsi can. This is just the gum wrapper that one day we're going to dispose of. Can you imagine what the eternal body is like? This is just a disposable body and look what God has done as a master craftsman, as a potter with our physical disposable frame. Though this clay container, again, is just a milk jug, the, the, the value of this physical body. I think I read a study one time before that if you reduce the basic elements of a physical human body down to what they were technically worth, it would equal just under about four dollars. So this fascinating physical body that we're often so consumed with, it's worth about the price of a Happy Meal. That's about what it's worth. But yet, isn't it interesting too, the weird and tremendous emphasis society puts on these clay pots, right? We have whole industries that are dedicated to the preservation, upkeep, improvement, beautifying of these wonderful clay pots, we began to realize right away this lump of clay, it's got some odors. So there's whole industries dedicated to hiding the odors of your clay pot. Deodorants and perfumes and making your clay smell better so you can track other lumps of clay, right? <laughs> we began to realize that this clay has certain lines and cracks and, and, and spots on it. So we have a whole industry dedicated to paint supplies, to cover up the lines and the cracks and make the clay look more appealing and paint it so it looks more attractive. We began to realize our clay has some issues with bad breath that can stop a charging rhino at 50 yards away. So we have mints and mouthwash. And then, of course, the whole concept, some people are not happy with the shape of their clay. Some people feel they have too much clay and they want to trim off some clay. Others feel like they don't have enough clay. So we have old industries, right, dedicated to exercise and fitness and, and, and juicers and nutritional supplements. and We have whole industries all dedicated towards what? These disposable clay pots. It's amazing. 
Some of you are here this morning, and again, think of the way culture dresses today. Some people are trying to hide their extra clay. Some people are trying to show off clay that they're a little extra proud of. I mean, this is what our world is consumed with. When the reality is this, listen, what really matters is on the inside. What matters most of all is the eternal lasting part, not the disposable part. We have so become backwards in our culture today. We are so consumed with our physical... Listen, nothing wrong with being a good steward. But quite frankly, we are consumed with our physical health, our physical appearance. It's phenomenal. Yet the Bible tells us what truly matters is what is internal. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, Exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise for the life that now is and the life which is to come. What if we put the same interest, emphasis, investment into the eternal, internal part of our lives? That's what matters. And that's what God is most concerned with. And that's why God is working in the way he is, seeking to mold and shape not so much the outside, but the inside. And this is what Jeremiah is beginning to realize. Now, as we take our tour with Jeremiah here down to the potter's house, four things particularly as we go through these verses here, we can kind of learn with Jeremiah as he goes down to the potter house, which picture and give insights regarding our relationship with the Lord. The first thing is this, again, if you're a note taker, we notice first of all in verse 3, the purpose of the potter. What was the purpose of the potter? Well, verse 3 is going to show us that. Notice verse 3, he says, I went down to the potter's house and there he was, underline it, making something at the wheel. Underline, the potter was making something. That is, the potter was not just playing around with the clay aimlessly. He wasn't just picking up the lump of clay and just throwing it down on the thing with no purpose or intention like a Play-Doh mold or like he was playing with beach sand. No, the potter had a plan. He had a clear intention in his mind. He was shaping something. There was already a picture in the potter's mind before he even began working what the finished product was already going to look like. He was very intentional about what he was doing. He was working in a way where he saw what he ultimately wanted to make. Now, if you were looking over the shoulder of the potter, as Jeremiah may have been, as you were watching him work, you would not have known, at least in the process, what he was ultimately going to make. He could have been making, for example, a vase or a a vase, I guess, if you're more cultural, that was going to be valuable and very expensive and, and, and be this very costly thing out of something very worthless. He could have been making a coffee mug. He could have been making a, uh, you know, a salad bowl or a spittoon or a porta potty. But he could have been making anything he wanted to. And if you looked over his shoulder, you wouldn't know exactly what he was making when the process was going on. But one thing you were confident of: he's making something. He is purposely, w- with intentional effort and creative wisdom, making something. There's something being made out of that. And praise God, the Bible tells us what our potter, the Lord, is after, what his plan is. Romans 8, 29 tells us that we are all being conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So I have some awareness of what my potter is after in a helpful way. 
He's making us, he's conforming us into the image of his son Jesus. Now that's quite a large undertaking, would you agree? That's kind of a lifelong process. But yet God patiently and persistently and lovingly works with each one of us from the day that he saves us. He saves us, he puts his precious, valuable, powerful Holy Spirit inside of this clay vessel and then he starts to work from the inside out. Again, we're all worried about the outside. God says, I don't really care about the outside because that's just a gum wrapper. But he starts to work from the inside out, shaping my character, developing who I am and my temperament, my nature, molding and shaping us so that I gradually and you gradually more and more begin to become more Christ-like, that we would reflect Jesus more in who we are in our temperament and our nature. 2 Corinthians 3 says we are being transformed into the image of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what's happening. We're being transformed continuously. The potter, God, is making something out of your life. Primarily, he's seeking to make you more Christ-like to make me more like Jesus by his spirit working within. Now, more specifically, we also know this. Ephesians 2.10 declares this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved not by works. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. But the Bible says that we are saved. And when we become saved, Ephesians 2.10 says, we then become God's workmanship, which tells us two more things. That God is seeking to make something, number one, that's beautiful. To make something that's beautiful. Because the word workmanship there from Ephesians 2 is the Greek term poema. It should sound familiar. It's where we get our English word poem, which refers to an expression of art. And it reminds us that God is not just trying to make something out of your life. God wants to create something beautiful out of your life. And God can make beauty from ashes, the Bible says. God's making something beautiful in your life, through your life. There's a gorgeous work of art that God is doing through you because God wants to display his work through your life. If you would, he's, he's writing through your life this beautiful poem whereby he can express himself to the world. That the beauty of your life and the miracle of transformation that God's done in your life, that people can look at your life and they can read the expression of God. And who God is and what God can do with a person. We've all perhaps heard that adage before. You may be the only Bible somebody ever reads. I hope I read accurately. And this is what God's doing. God's doing a beautiful work of grace in your life so that people can look at your life like this beautiful work of art and say, wow, the Lord must be real because he changed. And God must be patient and loving because look what's happened in her life and, and God's writing this beautiful story through your life to express to the world around him his purposes and things about himself. So God's making something beautiful, but secondly, he's also making something useful. God's not just into creating things to be admired in museums. God's also practical. So he's making something out of your life, out of your vessel of a person that's not just beautiful and admirable, but also something that can be practically useful among humanity while you're still here on this earth. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2 that we are called to be vessels of honor 
prepared for the master's use. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, as I read, to do good works. God wants to use your life in practical ways. He wants to make a useful, in a sense, experience with your life on this earth. There are people God wants you to help. People God wants you to touch and to minister to and speak to and to impact. God has things, good works for you to do. So he's making you in a beautiful way, but he's also making you someone who's a useful vessel that he can work through to help people and accomplish things on this earth. God our potter is making something beautiful and useful with your life. Be patient. Let him work. And be patient with others. What is God doing with that person? He's making something. You don't rush a potter. He's making something. He's making something beautiful there. And he's going to make something that's not just beautiful, that can become very useful and wonderful as well. So we see that first of all. Secondly, we then see in the rest of verse 3 what I would call, if you would, the process of the potter. Look at the process. What does it say? He's making something. Last three words. Where at? At the wheel. At the wheel. That's the place, as I said, where the molding and shaping is done with a potter. This lifeless form of clay, right, has no ability to change itself. It really has no value or worth to start with. The potter puts that lump of clay there on the wheel, and then he starts to pump that wheel up to warp speed. (laughs) And it starts to spin. And the clay on that wheel is spinning and spinning and spinning. And then that potter rolls up his sleeves and he begins to work on that clay once it's on the wheel and it starts to spin and to move quickly. Now, the procedure or the process of the potter for us is often the uncomfortable part. Because what did I say the wheel represents? The wheel is the place where the work is done. So the wheel represents the circumstances and events of our lives. But this is the platform where God the potter works upon our lives. Through circumstances and events and situations we go through day after day, the circle of life events go on and on. And have you ever felt like your life's going in circles? You ever said, I'm just about sick of this? Because you feel like your life's on a merry-go-round. And maybe it's day after day and month after month. It's the same thing, the same circle, the same cycle. Listen, that doesn't mean God's not working. What do you think God uses? God uses the circle of life events and what's going on in our circumstances. And sometimes we think as we go through day after day and month after month and year after year, sometimes nothing's going on. I just keep going in the same circuit, in the same cycle, in the same circuit, in the same... And nothing's going on. The reality is that's not true. Look at the potter. He can't shape the clay unless it's on the wheel. It has to be going on the wheel in order for him to accomplish. That wheel is the platform so whereby he can then work. It's what he uses to shape and to mold. It's the platform that God works. And I say that this morning to tell you no experience... Nothing in your life that goes on is ever vain because from God's vantage point and God's sovereignty, God controls all things and can use them for his good purposes. So yes, circumstances may be confusing at times. You may think nothing's going on, but it is those circumstances that God's using. Now, as the potter's spinning the wheel and the clay is on it, then what does a potter do? Well, he takes his hands, right? And then he starts to apply some pressure, And he begins to put pressure from without and then also sometimes he reaches down and puts pressure from within 
to shape and to mold the clay. He squeezes it. He pinches it. And maybe recently you've been feeling kind of the spiritual squeeze of God the potter in your life. Maybe you've experienced the pressures of life challenges that you're going through. Maybe it's your job and the pressures that it brings. Maybe it's the challenges and pressures of raising kids or having to submit to parents. Maybe it's the pressures of school or your relationships and the pressure that comes along with those things or your circumstances. Understand, God is simply pressing you with the right amount of pressure as a wise and loving potter to be pressed and to be shaped in the beautiful mold of Jesus. That's why the pressure's there. It's making you more Christ-like. That's why God is working. It's creating a useful vessel. He wants to make you a useful vessel for the purpose he's designed. Well, if that weren't enough, the pressure of the potter's hands, sometimes you ever watch potters, what else do they do? Jeremiah probably saw it. Sometimes potters then pull out these things called tools, like chisels and knives, where they cut away excess clay that doesn't need to be there so that clay can become what it's supposed to become ultimately. And sometimes a potter will cut deep grooves into the clay for beauty and and he'll cut out unnecessary areas to make a vessel more useful. And maybe recently you've kind of felt the tool of God's hand, the knife, in a sense, coming upon your life. Maybe you've been through something very painful recently where God has cut away something from your life that's been very painful. Maybe you've been wounded or hurt by someone in your past. Maybe there's some physical problem you're dealing with, a health issue or suffering. Maybe there's been a death of a loved one recently or some major failure you've gone through or some aspect that's been very, just a a complete disappointment in your life and, and, and it's caused some pain. Maybe as you're going through just everyday circumstances of life, which we all go through, Maybe God superintending in his wisdom is using some of those things to at the same time cut out of your life some things maybe that don't need to be there to make you a more beautiful, useful person. And it's through a little bit of pain of the tool that God's using that he's also accomplishing that good, valuable purpose in your life. And he's fulfilling those things for a better purposes. I'll tell you, some of the most beautiful people we know Some of the most useful people we know, let's be very honest, are people who've experienced painful things. And they have deep grooves of compassionate beauty in their life and humility and grace because of things that they've experienced. Romans 5 says suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And sometimes God works in these ways in our lives. And remember, in the midst of all these things, others have been on the wheel as well. Look at David. David was the anointed king of Israel, yet he spent 20 years struggling and suffering and and living in caves in in that experience. And no doubt, read the Psalms. David, a lot of times, was wondering like we do, why, God? How long, God? But what was God doing? It says that God was shaping and molding a man, what? who is after his own heart. And so David was on the wheel and the potter was shaping him and making David. Often we don't understand a lot of what happens in this life, but one thing thing we can understand is this. The potter's at work. God is doing something 
And he's often using just the circumstances of everyday life as a big part of his process for doing what he's accomplishing within us. Thirdly, take note as well, not just of the process of the potter, but if you would now as we go on to verse 4, we begin to see sort of a guiding principle, a guiding principle that the potter would use as he worked. Verse 4 says this, The vessel that he made of the clay, as Jeremiah saw it, it says, was then marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Now I want you to notice two principles, two guiding principles that a potter was using as Jeremiah watched. The first one was this, and it's a beautiful one, grace. Grace. Do you see what it says there in verse 4? The vessel that he was working on and making out of clay, it became marred in the hand of the potter as he was working on it. So as the potter was shaping this clay, something within the clay's contents, maybe a hard spot or some dirt or maybe a little stone or something like that, caused a problem in the process of the potter and therefore the clay got out of shape and it just kind of collapsed in the hands of the potter. It became marred, the Bible says. It, the idea is it became ruined or it fell apart. It was spoiled. Yet notice the potter doesn't throw away the clay because it's defective. He doesn't take the clay and, and, and just toss it aside and grab a new piece because it collapsed and fell apart. What does he do? Well, it says there that he patiently began working with it once again. It says the vessel became marred in his hand, so he threw it in the trash. No, he made it again into another vessel as seemed good to him. That's the grace of God pictured there. He sought to preserve it, to save it. He started over and made it again. He began a new work in the life of that vessel. And what a fiction picture that is of our lives that are marred, if you would, in the hands of our creator God. The Bible says we are all originally marred by sin because of the fall of humanity. We begin life somewhat, if you would, marred. We're stiff-necked. We have the dirt and defilement of a sin nature that causes us to do things that are unhealthy and we're marred by sin in the fall and the choices we make and the way we live before we come to Jesus Christ for salvation, I can tell you what I did in my life, I marred my life. I did some things that brought some stains into my life that distorted my perspective on certain things, that defiled my conscience and our lives become marred and, and in a sense defiled by how we live before we follow Christ and yet God doesn't cast us aside God looks at us in that condition and in his grace he's willing to take marred lives and say yeah you've marred your life but I'll take your life back into my hands and I'll work with it once again and if you'll give your life to me if anyone's in Christ he becomes a new creation and old things pass away and all things become new. And this morning, I want you to know, maybe you have marred your life because of bad choices you've made in not following Jesus Christ up to this point. But listen, if you come to Jesus Christ, God will work in your life again, powerfully by his grace. He'll forgive you and cleanse you and make your life into something beautiful, something useful. But yet even for us as believers, if we're honest, sometimes we make mistakes and fall even after we're following Jesus and we mar ourselves, if you would, yet the Lord is willing to make us again. 
And though even as Christians we may fail and maybe as a believer sometimes our lives become marred by failures and stains and damage that we do as we fracture and ruin ourselves because of a little tour of backsliding or entering into some sin and we mar something about our life. Listen, God loves to restore. God loves to rescue marred lives of even Christians and say, yeah, you've marred yourself, but it doesn't mean I can't take you and work in your life again. It doesn't mean I can't get a hold of you with my gracious, loving hands and restore and rework. No life is ever too marred that God can't start over with it again. It's a wonderful reality. The grace, the principle of the potter, but not just his grace, but another principle you see in verse 4 there is not only grace, but sovereignty. Because notice it says, he made it into another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make. So as he's making the new vessel, he makes it as seems good to the potter to make. Sovereignty is a principle of the pottery work and sovereignty simply means the potter always makes and does what he wants. He makes what he prefers, what he chooses. Now, clay, in a sense, physically doesn't, but as human beings, uh, as clay, sometimes we have our own plans. We have our own ideas of what we would like God to make of our lives and we may argue we even have rights but I'll tell you this it's always overruled by the potter because the potter's sovereign and the potter has power over the clay and because of that he decides and determines the outcome what his plan is to make from each lump of clay and how long it's going to have to maybe be on the wheel and what tools he's going to have to use to shape and to mold the clay and, and the amount of pressure he must apply to, to accomplish what he wants. And thus God as a potter sovereignly works in our lives. Romans 9 says this, Indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump of clay to make one vessel for honor and another vessel for dishonor? Here's what I've learned very simply. Soft and flexible clay has a much easier time in the pottery process. We have an option. We can stiffen up and and rebel and learn the hard way because extra pressure is needed. Or we can submit and be soft and yielded and be blessed and let God work and let God do with our life and through our life what he wants. A surrendered heart and life enjoys much more of a blessed experience. And can I just say this this morning? Anything God can make from my marred life is way better than anything I could ever make on my own. Anything God, Lord, my life is in your hands. I've made a mess. I've marred it. Anything you can make would be way better than that. Well, finally, as we close verse 5 and 6 here, notice one final thing, and that's this, to remember the person himself who actually is the potter. Remember verse 5 and 6, God said to Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord, as the clay's in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So God made it directly evident to Jeremiah and to the people of Israel that he was the potter. Now, if they took time to think about the nature of God as their potter, God is good. God is loving. God is all wise. God has all power. I imagine it would have been a greater delight to know we're in his hands. Fantastic. 
And I think for you and I this morning, in the same way, if we look closer at the potter, we will see something that will enable us to willingly, if you would, turn our lives over in a more submitted way to God as our potter. You remember Thomas who was questioning and doubting the Lord and Jesus appeared to him and he didn't say to Thomas, Thomas, you worthless lump of clay. I knew you would doubt me. Or Peter, you worthless lump of clay. I knew you'd deny me. Splat. Get out of here. He didn't do that. What did he do with Thomas? He said to Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. In other words, he showed Thomas the wounds that were the marks of his great love. And I would say to you this morning today, if we look closer at our true potter, if you look at the potter, you'll notice on the potter's forehead where all his ideas are about what he's doing, shaping and working in life, you'll notice on his forehead that there's a bunch of scars where a crown was pounded down upon his head. You look at his hands that are putting pressure upon your life. They're sometimes squeezing and using tools to work in your life. And, and you'll realize in those hands there are holes from nails that were pierced through those hands in love for you. And this amazing thing begins to happen. We begin to realize that our potter loves us more than anyone else ever could. And I found in my own life that as we fall in love with the potter, the resentment towards the process tends to diminish as you just fall in love with the potter and trust who he is and what he's doing and realize Jesus himself as a man has been upon the wheel. He's experienced suffering in the circumstances of life. And I would say this, the only good thing any piece of clay has going for it is the potter. So if you're here this morning and you're a believer and maybe you have struggled or you've been hedging, or sh- listen, just submit. Get back on the wheel. Just submit to the process and trust God and let him work. He's making something. He's doing something. Don't stiffen up or resist against the Lord. Let him work and let him rework in your life. Maybe you've messed it up. He can make it again into something beautiful. Trust him in the process. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, my exhortation would be this to you. Perhaps it's time to let the potter try what you failed at, which is to make something beautiful and useful out of your life. And if you let him work in your life and submit to him, he'll come in by his spirit and work from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together.